you've got a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn with me this morning to Ruth chapter 3, Ruth chapter 3. You know, it seems that marriage proposals are getting more creative and more costly each and every year. It used to be that if you rented a billboard and you put your proposal on a billboard or you rented a banner behind a plane, that was pretty creative, but, but not anymore. Today, people are proposing deep in caves, on the top of mountains, under the water. People are even proposing in outer space. It's crazy. It's amazing. And, and it's costing more and more. When Kanye West proposed to Kim Kardashian, he did it at a baseball stadium filled with all kind of bling, a jumbotron, a 90-piece orchestra, and oh yeah, an $8 million ring. This one guy wanted to propose to his fiancée at halftime of the Super Bowl, and he didn't have the money to put out an ad, and so he tried to raise the money on the internet, but he couldn't raise the money and so he instead took out an ad on his local TV station to propose to his wife. It's pretty creative. But the craziest proposal that, that I ever read about was this guy who faked his death. Absolutely. Faked his death. They were having his visitation. He was in the coffin there. And when his fiance walked by and stood in front of the coffin sobbing, he sat up and said, will you marry me? After she got done screaming, slapped him in the face, she said yes. I mean, I, I would have thought that there would have been a real funeral after that. And I've got to tell you, my proposal is lame. It was just flat out lame. Sharon and I started dating when I was in college. She was in high school. We... We started talking at a youth event on a Sunday night. I, it was before I drove back to college that night. And, and that night I asked her, I said, why don't you write me sometime? This was before cell phones and texting or emails and the internet or, or anything like that. I mean, you either had to make a long distance call, which we were dirt poor, we couldn't afford, or, or you would write somebody a letter. And so she wrote me a letter that Monday. And she invited me to go to the high school football game that weekend. Well, I wrote her back, and the letter came to her on Friday. And I told her that I wasn't able to go. I just had too much schoolwork. But then I decided, man, I'm going home. I'm going to go and go to the football game with her. So I got home, getting ready to go to the football game, and I found out she had another date. <laughs> yep. She asked me to come home from college, and she goes on another date. So I went to the football game by myself. I was standing at the fence watching the game. And at halftime, she walked down from her date to the fence. Started talking to me. And she said, why don't you come over to my house after the game? I said, you're on a date. She said, well, he has a curfew. He has to go home after the football game. <laughs> said, okay. And so I left the football game. Went to her house, knocked on the door, and I'm knocking on the door as her date is driving her up. It's embarrassing. So embarrassing. But went inside, we played some cards, we talked, I asked her out for the next night. We went on a date, and we dated 18 months before I finally got the courage to ask her to marry me. I graduated from college, and, 
And my friend, my best friend from high school, he, he was in town. He had graduated from West Point. And he was in town before he was getting ready to, to, um, to deploy. And so he was at my house, but I'd already planned this. And so Sherry was coming over, and I, I hid the ring in a candy dish. And so with my best friend sitting there at the table and Sherry there, I said, hey, babe, how about give me a piece of candy? And she went into the candy dish, gave me a piece of candy and got the ring. I mean, I didn't even say anything cool like, hey, you're my real piece of candy. <laughs> or you're my sweet thing. I mean, I didn't do anything like that. I mean, it was lame. It was terrible. But it's worked. We've been married for 37 years, so it worked. But today, I want us to look at what I believe is, is perhaps the, the strangest marriage proposal in history but before we do I want us to review a little bit because we've been talking about true love and what true love looks like in the book of Ruth and and in week one we discovered that true love is devoted it's weathers the the storms of life it's a till death do us part love and that's what true love always is true love says I'm going to be with you until we die Last week, we discovered that, that true love is kind. True love shows itself in the way that we act, that we treat other people. But this morning, what I want us to discover is that true love trusts. It always trusts. Now, if your Bibles are open, I want you to follow along as I read beginning in verse 1. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. We've got the words on the screen. Listen to what God says. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, my daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now, do as I tell you. Take a bath, put on perfume, dress in your nicest clothes, then go to the threshing floor. But don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down. Then go and uncover his feet and lie there, and he will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. After Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he lay down at the far end of the pile of grain and went to sleep. Then Ruth came quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. Around midnight, Boaz suddenly woke up and turned over. He was surprised to find a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I'm your servant, Ruth, she replied. Spread the corner of your covering over me, for you are my family redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, Boaz exclaimed. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before, for you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now, don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary, for everyone in town knows that you are a virtuous woman. Well, while it's true that I am one of your family redeemers, there's another man who is more closely related to you than I am. Stay here tonight, and in the morning I will talk to him. If he's willing to redeem you very well, let him marry you. But if he is not willing... Then as surely as the Lord lives, I will redeem you myself. Now lie down here until morning. So Ruth lay down at Boaz's feet until the morning. 
But she got up before it was light enough for people to recognize each other. For Boaz had said, no one must know that a woman was here at the threshing floor. Then Boaz said to her, bring your cloak and spread it out. He measured six scoops of barley into the cloak and placed it on her back. Then he returned to the town. When Ruth went back to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, what happened, my daughter? Ruth told Naomi everything Boaz had done for her. And she added, he gave me these six scoops of barley and said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said to her, just be patient, my daughter, until we hear what happens. This man won't rest until he has settled things today. Now, as we read through this chapter, we discover trust from beginning to end. First of all, Ruth trusts Naomi. He says, she says, I will do exactly what you say. Then Ruth trusts Boaz. She stays there until the morning. And finally, she trusts God. She waits patiently for God to act and the way God plans to act. When the Apostle Paul is describing true love in 1 Corinthians 13, he says this, Love always protects, love always trusts, love always hopes, love always perseveres, always. Love always trusts. But I think you would agree with me this morning that it's difficult to always trust, isn't it? I mean, people can break our trust. People can do things to us that causes us to not trust. Trust is a difficult thing. When we trust someone, we become vulnerable. But the Apostle Paul said, love always. Not some of the time, not most of the time, but love always trust. Now, let's go through this story. At least several months have passed since the end of chapter 2 as we read the end of chapter 2. And as of yet, Boaz has not made a move on Ruth. We know that there's some chemistry there. We know that he's noticed her. We know that he likes her, but he hasn't asked her out. He hasn't made a move on Ruth. Now we find out a little bit later the reason. The reason is Boaz was much older than Ruth. And Ruth could have any man she wanted. Obviously, she was very attractive. And Boaz said, I would have assumed that you would have went after a younger man, rather rich or poor. And so Boaz didn't want to get turned down. He didn't want to be rejected, so he never asked. And so Naomi took matters into her own hands. She was tired of waiting. I mean, every day Ruth would come home. And Naomi would say, was Boaz at the field today? Did Boaz talk to you today? Did Boaz ask you out today? Do you think Boaz likes you? And Ruth would go, Mom, it's his field. You know he was there today. No, Mom, he didn't ask me out. He was kind to me. He smiled to me. I don't know if he likes me. Now, Naomi knew. And so Naomi had a plan. She said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a bath, get some perfume on, and put on your nicest clothes. Now, ladies, listen to me. If you're here and you're single and you want to get married, quit going to Walmart in your yoga pants. (laughs) 
It's not working. You may think those yoga pants are good and you may think they're comfortable, but oh goodness, don't, you're not going to find a man that way. Now that's good common sense, but that's not what Naomi was saying. You see, Ruth had been working out in the field. And she worked hard. The Bible makes that very clear. So every time Boaz saw Ruth, she stunk. She was smelly. She was dirty. And so Naomi said, you need to take a bath. You need to put on some perfume. And then when she started talking about the clothes, it wasn't that she needs to get all dressed up, though she did and she should have. What Naomi was saying is, you need to quit dressing like a widow. You see, she was still dressing in mourning clothes. She was still mourning the death of her husband. And so as men would look at Ruth, they would say, she's still in mourning. She's not an eligible woman for marriage. And so Naomi is saying, Ruth, take a bath, put some perfume on, change your clothes so that Boaz will know you're eligible. And then this is what I want you to do. The harvest is over. They're threshing the final bit of grain tonight. That means that they're going to have a party. They're going to be eating and drinking and celebrating. And they're going to stay out there at the threshing floor. And so after dark, when no one can see you, I want you to go out to the threshing floor. And I want you to wait until Boaz is asleep. And then I want you to go to where he is sleeping, uncover his feet, and then lay down at his feet. Make sure you watch where Boaz is sleeping. I mean, it'd be a bad thing if you went to the wrong man, right? And remember, it's dark. I mean, you couldn't have see. And so Ruth does what Naomi says. She goes to the threshing floor. She's watching all of this take place, the, the eating, the drinking, the celebrating. And then she watches Boaz. He goes to a place at the edge of the field and he lies down and he goes to sleep. And so she goes to where Boaz is. She uncovers his feet and then she lies down. And at about midnight, the Bible says, Boaz woke up. I mean, his feet were cold. His feet were uncovered, and that woke him up. And so he got the covers to put back over his feet, and as he did, he looked there, and there was a woman at his feet. And he said, who are you? Then I think we would all do that, right? I mean, you wake up in the middle of the night, and there's someone there staring at you. What are you going to do? You're going to either shoot them or say, who are you, right? Well, Boaz said, who are you? Several months ago, we were in the mountains and some of our kids and our grandkids were there. And on this particular night, Asher and Joshi was sleeping in our bed with us. And Asher slept. Joshi, no. I don't think she slept the entire night. So about 3 o'clock in the morning, I wake up and there's these two eyes looking at me in the face. And I'm going, Joshi, is that you? And she said, it's me, Poppy. A couple of hours later, she gets out of our bed. We didn't even know it. Goes up the stairs to where Matthew and Emily are in bed. And she's standing beside their bed just staring at them. <laughs> Emily wakes up. And Josh, she says, hey, Emily, will you put this necklace on for me? <laughs> Five o'clock in the morning. 
She's doing that. Now, we know that when you wake up and you see someone like that, it's kind of startling. And so Boaz said, who are you? Now, we all know that the way that he says that will convey a lot, right? I mean, it's not just the words that we say, it's the way that we say things, right? Years ago, when we lived in Orlando, I had the opportunity to do some commercials and things like that. And there was this commercial that I was trying out for. It was a commercial for a car dealership in Tampa, and it was with Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter had a home in Tampa, and he collected a lot of cars. And, and so I was going to be his valet in this commercial. And, I mean, I'd done a commercial with this guy doing the audition. So I said, man, this is great. I've got this in the bag, and I'm going to do this commercial. And the line was easy. I only had one line. It's, where do you want this one, Mr. Jeter? I'd drive the car up, you know, and roll down the window, and Derek Jeter would be there. And I'd say, where do you want this one, Mr. Jeter? And so I did it. I said, where do you want this one, Mr. Jeter? And the guy doing the audition said, that was good. Now, now say it in several more ways, several different ways. I'm going, I, I mean, I'd practice my lines. Where do you want this one, Mr. Jeter? And it was in my mind. Where do you want this one, Mr. Jeter? So I said, okay. So three times, back to back to back. Where do you want this one, Mr. Jeter? Where do you want this one, Mr. Jeter? Where do you want this one, Mr. Jeter? And then I looked at him, and he looked at me, and I said, yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> Obviously, I didn't get the commercial. I, I couldn't figure out how to do it differently. Now, doing this differently, who are you? will make a difference. Who are you? That says one thing. Who are you? That says something else. Who are you? <laughs> that communicates something totally different. And I, I think that Boaz had good enough eyesight where he said, who are you? And Ruth responded, I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your cover over me, for you're my family redeemer. Now, a lot of people say that she was communicating a lot of different things there. I mean, some people say that it had sexual overtones. That Ruth was saying, hey, you put the covers over us, I'll show you a good time, and then let's get married. But Ruth wasn't doing that. We find out a little bit later that Ruth was a virtuous woman. You see, the word for cover here in chapter 3 is the same word for wing in chapter 2. When Boaz talks about, you know, God's going to put his wing of protection over you. So what Ruth is saying to Boaz is this. Put your cover over me for protection. Protect me. You are my family redeemer. She was putting her trust in Boaz. And then what did Boaz say? He said, lady, you've blessed me. You could have gone after any man you wanted. You've gone after me. Don't worry, everybody knows you are a virtuous woman. Did you get that? Ruth had a reputation. It was a good reputation. 
Everybody in town knows you are a virtuous woman. Now, here's what's interesting. The word for virtuous here is the same word in Proverbs 31 to describe that Proverbs 31 woman. When Solomon says, who can find a virtuous woman? And the Jewish rabbis would oftentimes put the book of Ruth after the book of Proverbs in order in the Old Testament, the Jewish Old Testament. So that you would read Proverbs 31 about a virtuous woman. And the very next thing you read was the story of Ruth. A virtuous woman. And Ruth was virtuous. But then Boaz gave some news. He said, but I'm more than willing to marry you. I will marry you today. But there's another family redeemer. There's one who is closer than me. And he has first right. He has the right to marry you first. But if he chooses not to marry you, I will marry you in a heartbeat. And then he said, lay here until in the morning. Now notice where she laid at his feet. Again, there was nothing sexual, nothing impure. She stayed there. The reason that she stayed there is because Boaz was already protecting her. It was dangerous at night going from the threshing floor to the town and Boaz didn't want anyone to see her and think something bad about her so he was protecting her and then that next morning he woke her up he gave her six scoops of barley most people say that was around a hundred pounds we already found in chapter two that that Ruth was obviously jacked because of the grain that she carried that first time. This was more than that. Boaz was blessing Ruth. And he sent her home and he said, I'm going to take care of this today and let you know. Now, there's trust in this from start to finish. But what I want to do is I want to share four things in this passage that I believe help us better understand what trusting love is. First of all, trusting love is risky. I mean, it's always risky to trust someone, isn't it? I mean, let's be honest. Trust takes a risk. When I was five years old and my, my dad was teaching me to swim, it was in, at Santee, down um, outside of Charleston in that area around Monk's Corner. And, and I was on the edge of the pier on the dock and, and the water was over my head. And my dad was out there in the water and he says, son, you jump in and swim to me. And if you need help, I'll get you. Trust me. You just trust me. You jump in and start swimming, I'll take care of you. And I did. And I learned to swim. And now I can enjoy the water, all because I trusted my father. But it was risky, because I couldn't see what was under that water. It was over my head. My dad, he was, he was way out there. He was probably from me to the sound booth out there. And, and I had never done that before. And, and so I was taking a risk, and yet I trusted him. What Naomi was telling Ruth to do was risky in so many different ways. First of all, she was saying, I want you to go out to the threshing floor in the middle of the night. 
Now the threshing floor was out of the town, out past the fields. It was night. Remember, this is the area where David grew up. David was a shepherd, and we're told that David killed lions there in that area. There were all kinds of predators that lived in that area, out in the wilderness. Ruth was taking a risk. She was taking a gamble. For a woman to go to the threshing floor was a gamble. In Hosea chapter 9 verse 1 The prophet Hosea tells us that prostitution took place at the threshing floor. He tells us that there was pagan sexual idolatry at the threshing floor. We know that things went on at the threshing floor that would have been risky for Ruth to go there. But she took the risk. She risked She risked being rejected. She risked being misunderstood. She risked her reputation. She risked it all for the sake of love. Listen, love that is true love, trust, is vulnerable. Now, I know some of you have been hurt. Some of you have been cheated on. Some of you have been lied to. Some of you feel like you've been deceived. But I'm here to tell you, you're never going to discover the benefits of true love Until you drop your guard and you begin to trust. Trust with every ounce of your being. True love that trust is risky. Second, true love that trust is pure. Now remember this story takes place during the time of the judges. And during the time of the judges everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. Do you remember how the book of Judges ends? It ends with one of the most sick stories in the entire word of God. There is this Levite who enters this town with his wife. And the men of the town want to rape him. They want to rape him. But instead they take his wife and they rape her until she's dead. This was an evil time. This was a wicked time time sexual immorality was rampant everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes and Moab or Ruth was a Moabite she came from Moab they were evil sexually impure people the Moabites were born out of sexual morality and they thrived with sexual immorality and yet in the midst of all of this Ruth remained pure she was a virtuous woman we live in a day and age today where i believe we're again like they were in the book of judges where everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes i mean my word there are parents that know their their middle school kids are having sex and they're not even concerned about it Something is wrong with us. Our society, our culture has gone off the rails. And I'm here to tell you that what our culture is teaching our kids will not make for a lifetime of happiness. It will make for misery and divorce and bondage. 
The way to experience true love is to have purity in your relationships. That's why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, run, flee, avoid sexual immorality. So many today think that we've got to have sex to know whether we can live together. Let me tell you, if you love one another and you wait God's way, then sex is going to be a blessing. The Bible doesn't teach that sex is awful, sex is terrible, sex is evil, sex is wicked. The Bible teaches that sex is sacred. And it is beautiful within the confines of God's word. But outside of the confines of God's word, it destroys, it brings despair, it brings all kind of pain and heartache. Love that is trusting is pure. Third, love that is trusting follows God's plan. So here's Ruth. And she's told by Boaz, I'd marry you in a heartbeat. (laughs) But there's a kinsman redeemer that is closer. And he's going to have first right on whether to marry you or not. Ruth is ready to marry Boaz, and now she's told you have to wait. You may have to marry somebody else. So what did she do? Did she take matters into her own hands and say, no, we're going we're gonna to do this my way? No, she trusted God's plan. And I'm here to tell you that God has a plan for marriage, and it's found in God's word. And when we're willing to trust God's plan and be true to God's word, God will bless our marriage. Now, young people, one of the things that God's word says about marriage is this. Be not unequally yoked with unbelievers. That means that if you are a follower of Jesus, you're not to marry someone who is not a follower of Jesus. You're not to date them. Because newsflash, the people you date is going to be the the people auditioning for who you marry, right? Right? And so if you don't want to marry an unbeliever, then don't date an unbeliever. Because if you do, you may find yourself emotionally attracted to them so much that you're going to convince yourself, I can change them. And you can't. Only God can. You say, well, I love them. You follow God's plan, God will bring someone into your life that is much better for you. Trust God's plan. And then finally, love that trust is patient. Verse 18, Naomi says, just be patient. Wait on God. God's got this. Now, here's the thing. Ruth was patient from the beginning of the chapter to the end. It wasn't Ruth that was impatient. It was Naomi. Naomi's the one who said, hey, we're going to take matters into our own hands. We're going to fix this. And praise God, God intervened. God Worked it out, and we know that because this is the line from which we get the Savior, Jesus, our Messiah, our Lord. We know that God worked it all out. But Ruth was patient from beginning to end. She wasn't sweating it. She knew that God had a plan, and if she trusted him, God would work all things out for her good and for his glory. And he always does. What messes things up is when we get patient and we put it in our own hands and try to handle it. We mess it up. So listen to me. 
If you want a relationship that not only stands the test of time, you want a relationship that, man, it brings joy to you every single day of your life. You're going to have to learn to put your guard down and trust. Be vulnerable. Take a risk. You're going to have to be pure because our God is a pure, holy God. You're going to have to trust his plan. You're going to have to be patient. And oh yeah, don't wear yoga pants. (laughs) And if you do that, then God will take care of the rest. Now, here's the deal. Listen. If we're going to ever trust people in our relationships, what I've discovered is we've got to, first of all, learn how to trust God. You're never going to trust people who are flawed, and we are, until you can trust God who is perfect. So have you placed your trust in him? Do you trust him? Do you trust him to meet your needs? Do you trust him to provide someone for your life? Do you trust him to be your savior, your Lord? Have you acknowledged your need of him, trusting him to take your sins away, something you can't do if you trusted him? Every relationship that is a true relationship has trust. So what about it? Bow your head. With your head bowed, with your eyes closed, if you're here and you've never placed your trust in Jesus, then I want to invite you today to humble yourself. Acknowledge your sin. Place your trust in the one who gave his all for you. Let him change your life. Maybe ask, what do I need to do? Well, you, you need to just trust him. You ask him. You can, you can pray a prayer like this if this is what you want to do. Dear God, I humbly come to you today acknowledging that I need you. I'm a sinner. I failed you. I've rebelled against you. Forgive me. I believe you love me. I believe you came to this earth, died in my place on the cross, rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. Today I'm trusting you to save me. Come into my heart, come into my life, fill me with your spirit. Make me brand new. Thank you for hearing my prayer.